and like the the dirt would come out of the rock uh, around these uh, explosive places and it wasn't just one circle like there was many of these circles so i'm here with my like uh, construction grade earplugs these dudes are just balling up kleenex and putting them in their ears and my ears were throbbing i can't imagine the dudes actually exploding these hammers Hey folks, hope you had a good weekend. Uh, I'm your host, Mason Gravely, by the way. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I know it was kind of crazy last week. Wasn't able to get an episode out Monday, but here we are with a brand new episode with famous YouTuber Mike Corey. Mike has a YouTube channel called Fearless and Far. Basically, you know, taking challenges, taking experiences to the next level by by facing your fear uh, and seeing how far that can take you. So uh, Mike is someone who who keeps himself in really a perpetual state of discomfort, a state of uh, always getting outside your comfort zone. And some of the experiences he's had are just absolutely wild. Now, the best way to, I'd say, experience what he does is through his YouTube channel, um, but he tells some absolutely incredible stories on this episode. Uh, but it's so cool to take some of the stuff he's seen uh, and actually see it yourself. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, check out his Instagram. But yeah, Mike, Mike was an awesome to talk to. He t- he's, he's joining us today from Africa, uh, Tanzania, actually, after just climbing Mount Kilimanjaro while carrying a watermelon to the summit, which is just, uh, yeah, pretty crazy. Definitely pretty crazy. But um, before we jump in, I did want to let you know about a very new podcast that's out that I think you would also really enjoy from Expedia. It's now in its third season, and the show is called Out Travel the System. So even when we're not on an adventure, we're essentially pretty much always planning our next adventure, planning our next trip. And Expedia's Out Travel the System is really a show to help you plan better and help you basically stay inspired to travel, uh, getting ready for your next experience. So this is everything from uh, interviewing folks who have traveled all over the world to folks that are just getting into it, people at the destinations that you may be thinking of, as well as just really good travel stories. So if that's something you think you would like, definitely go check out Out Travel the System on your usual podcast player. Like and subscribe to get the latest episodes. And also, if you are needing a good luggage bag or a great backpack or any sort of bag or handcrafted item for a trip, definitely encourage you to check out Frost River. I've been very impressed by their customer service, by the quality of their shoulder bags, their luggage bags. Um, If you are looking to buy something special for that person in your life who is an adventurer, who is also rugged, um, who needs something that isn't going to wear out on them on a few uses, check out Frost River. A great company. They've been around for a few decades now out of Duluth, Minnesota. And again, they make handcrafted bags, luggage bags, backpacks, all kinds of packs, apparel, and even accessories like wallets, pet gear, and travel accessories. And again, that is frostriver.com slash adventuresports. And use the code ADVENTURE at checkout for free shipping on your order. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, folks, welcome to the show. Uh, you heard a little bit about Mike in the official intro. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, man. I'm here in Tanzania. Uh, just finished climbing Kilimanjaro about a week and a half ago. That was a hell of an experience. And now just getting some office work done here and getting caught up on some calls. Okay, so how is uh, how is Kilimanjaro? Well, I tell you, like, I, I'm, uh, I, I don't do that much mountaineering. And I guess Kilimanjaro is probably the very bottom tier of mountaineering it's not going to sit very difficult at all uh but i tell you it was super cool um there's different routes you can take obviously some are easier than others we took probably the hardest route uh, you can take i'm sure you can just go up any side of the mountain and it's actually pretty hard but uh, this is like one of the harder actual um paths it's called the western breach and it takes uh, seven days up and two days down so a nice long nine nine day journey and uh, the weather wasn't so great it was kind of snowy but ended up making it to the top. And I guess it's, I should probably tell you this as well. 
I, I decided to carry a watermelon. A little bit crazy. It totally is a bit crazy, a little bit silly. Uh, but I have a YouTube channel called Fearless and Far. On that channel, I like to challenge myself in strange, unique ways. That's part of the reason I'm on the podcast with you now. Just finding these these different challenges or different locations or these things happening in the world that are a bit strange and different. That's kind of my jam. So I decided to try to see if I was able to carry a watermelon up on my shoulder at the top. And spoiler alert. I did it. It it was, it was hell though. (laughs) It wasn't a good time. I don't recommend it to anybody, but it was a nice little personal challenge. Although it being a little bit silly. I mean, Hey, I think if I learned one thing in the past 12 months, I have to stop taking life so damn seriously sometimes. So Mm. this is my little, uh, challenge slash treat to myself. Did you get to eat it? Dude, we gutted that thing on top. That was like the, the best part about it was cutting it in half and then, then eating this, this watermelon. And I wasn't sure if it was going to, rot or like explode from altitude i didn't i didn't know uh all i know is that when we first bought it it was a 15 pound beautiful thing and then by the top it was like brown and full of holes and scars but you know like wagyu beef that 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 i think is japanese expensive beef because they massage it every single day and it's supposed to be very tasty after it was like it was like the same thing i carried all the way to the top for seven days and then it was probably the best damn watermelon i've ever had in my entire life <laughs> hey man i love it man as a as a fellow goofball you know kind of always doing something bizarre like that that that's a just a great challenge you know to, to go right up our alley is carry a watermelon to the top of kilimanjaro you might be the first i recently talked to somebody a guest on the show who played a game of soccer at the at, almost at the top of kilimanjaro like an official size game of soccer with official teams and refs carried goals and everything and i just thought that was the some something about that mountain just draws wacky goals apparently that's a i don't know maybe it's the altitude <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though actually that would work really well so kilimanjaro especially like you couldn't attempt something like that or like my my little goal on like aconcagua or like everest or these monsters of mountains um because they're too technical like they you can actually really really hurt yourself or, or die on some of these mountains Kili is one of those mountains it's high it's like um well in meters 5,895, which I think is probably pretty close to 20,000 feet. Uh, but it's not that technical. So you can goof around a little bit without, you know, really risking too much. But right before you get to the summit, there's like this big, like, it's a volcano, right? So there's this like big crater in the middle that's really flat. And then one edge of the crater is Uhuru Peak is what it's called. And that's the summit. So I could totally see people playing a full game of soccer on that flat area in the crater because it's just like a big open snowfield. I think that's exactly where they played it. It was right at about 19,000 feet, and uh, maybe it was right under the summit, too, in a crater. They kept mentioning that, so that had to be where it was. But, man, you know, take us back. I know you've told these stories probably a thousand times recently, Um, but, you know, we we just want to hear it again. (laughs) For for someone that just takes a watermelon up Kilimanjaro, you, you, you know, did you have an interesting childhood or something? Like, where did you grow up? What did you grow up doing? And what ultimately caused you to think like this? You know what I'm saying? Because it just doesn't happen necessarily. Oh my God. That's, that's the best phrasing of that question I've ever heard in my entire life. And yeah, definitely. As someone who carried a watermelon off Kilimanjaro had a different, definitely an interesting childhood. And I, I don't mind answering the question because my entire life is kind of built my travel style, my life, um, everything I'm passionate about all kind of stems around what happened when I was younger. And, uh, basically I grew up as a curious kid. I'm Canadian uh, from the province of New Brunswick, which is right above Maine in, in Canada. Very similar to Maine, actually like lots of forests, kind of like simple folk, um, grew up in a family of, of animal lovers. And so I always loved nature animals too. I was always like flipping over rocks, looking for snakes and salamanders. And I guess my favorite thing as a kid was finding these misunderstood creatures and trying to explain why they were so damn cool. <laughs> no one really listened, but I still uh, I still really enjoyed it. And then I grew up, and um, I guess where I got the name Fearless and Far came from, uh, it started because in my life I was fearful of most things. It all started when I was in, in grade school. I, I was in grade three, and I had a teacher bring me up in front of the class and and basically ridicule me in front of the students. Again, being a shy kid, I, I never was in front of the class. I wasn't the class clown. And that that set me, that set my behaviors going forward. It set my, set the mold. You know, you're so impressionable at that age. 
that was my interpretation of being in public was like people laughing and being ridiculed and, and just like pain. So actually I had a phobia of public speaking for most of my life from like grade three until just damn man, like uh, five, six, seven years ago. Um, and now it's my full-time job. And so, I mean, the alias is fearless and far, but I'm definitely far from fearless. I'm actually probably one of the most fearful people. I just found out that I, you can grow a lot by doing the things that absolutely terrify you. And there was no one more scared of me than public speaking, but now it's my full-time job. I'm a, I'm a podcast host. I'm a travel YouTuber and I'm a host on a television show too. My entire career is, is speaking in, in all its various forms, except for maybe singing at this point. And I'm, I'm just a living, breathing example of, of what can happen if you do choose to pursue the things that absolutely batch terrify you. And that's where the word fearless comes from. Not because I am, but I've realized that fearlessness is a choice, not necessarily a state of mind or a state of being. You can choose to be fearless. And whether it be asking for a raise or public speaking or whatever it is, these things that that scare you if you, if you lean into them with your hands shaking and your heart quaking amazing things can happen in your life. And so that's where it all came from. This event when I was a kid that could very well have been interpreted as, as a curse, right? Um, has now become an absolute blessing only because, um, I decided to lean into it. And I say I decided it was more like life beating me around until I decided, until I did something crazy, which was, you know, try to do these things I, I thought I couldn't. And so now you look, you look at some of these videos I do and some of the adventures I have, and they might seem a little bit silly, but I just really like doing things that I think I can't. Um, I really like doing things that people say I can't because if you, humans are amazing when they're, when it's down to the line. Like if you really want something in life, you can definitely get it. And the more opportunities I have to teach myself that, and the more opportunities I have to show other people that I'll take every single one, even if it sucks a little bit, I know the reward is much greater later. Well said, absolutely well said. And, and it's so amazing to me that someone with such you know charisma and just so great in front of the camera deals has dealt with that or started out that way do, do you still get that tingling that 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 sense of uh thrill maybe when you're getting in front of a group of people you know does does those memories still come back at all yeah of course man i mean i, I don't think it ever goes away whether you you know, you almost drown when you were 10 or whether something like happened to me, uh, the, these things stick with you. And I don't know if you can ever really shake it, but what you can do is you, uh, you can change your relationship to the feeling, right? And I like how you said thrill because very easily you can convince yourself, uh, brainwash yourself that these feelings aren't so different. I mean, the, if you look at the physiology of, of being like excited or being afraid, it's not too far off. And Something I realized, too, um, in, in the, the throes of it all was that I was also just as scared of being scared. Like I, I would I would feel this feeling of, of panic come up and I'd be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting scared again. Oh, no. And it would just be a, like a wheel of fire running down a hill, you know, faster and faster and faster. And then it was just all about being like, OK, well, this, I'm, I know I'm going to feel this feeling, but I know it's good. Like I, I know I know it's trying to help me, but I don't have to listen to it. I know that it's here because of this thing that happened that I thought was a curse most of my life. It's actually you know what a little bit of a blessing because it made me work on it much, 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 much more than anybody who is naturally gifted with that ability. And so knowing this and expecting a, you know, a little bit of a tingle or thrill, let's call it, because again, it's not so different. Um, I walk alongside it. it, it it'll never be gone. Um, fear's a, a part of my life. But again, we've changed our relationship and I think that's the most important thing. How do you... Or, or let me let me rephrase that. How often are you in a state of either fear or uh, not anxiety that's too negative, but just that 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 discomfort, that being uncomfortable? That's one of your biggest themes on your show and in your life. How, how much of your life are you actually in that state? Yeah. Well, in all honesty, I've I've been doing this now professionally for like eight years, um, professionally trying to find things that freak me out. So after a while, you know, I don't have any natural phobia of spiders or heights or, or any of these things. I had a little bit one of claustrophobia and then I decided to bury myself in sand up to my neck for 24 hours in the Philippines. <laughs> and, uh, that was miserable, but made it through and lo and so behold, crazy. I, I <laughs> yeah, I'm still here today, but you know what? Now, now I'm thinking about it and we're on the, you know, adventure sport podcast here. 
um, one of the main things that changed everything is I was listening to um, a, a, a base jumper named Jeb Corliss, who maybe some people are, are familiar with. And he was talking about fear on some interview. And um, it was some documentary or something. And the reporter's like, so um, you, you must be fearless. You must not be afraid ever when you jump. Again, the guy does like squirrel suit base jumping and stuff. And he took offense and he was like, no, I get afraid every single time before I jump. I, I, I can't get rid of it. I, I'm, of course you're afraid. It's, it's something scary, but you just have to learn to change your relationship. And then, you know, you learn like some of the most famous pop stars are, are terrified before they go on stage too. And you realize that uh, the biggest difference between some of these people and, and yourself is just the decision to do it anyway. You know what I mean? So, um, still now, like when I, like, for example, right before this podcast, I just did a, a quite a big interview for, um, a podcast I'm hosting called against the odds about tales of human survival. And we, um, we're talking about the Thai cave rescue that happened in 2018 or these guys, um, one, one guy in particular, but several guys, um, rescued these boys from the depths of a cave and everyone said it was impossible. So the guy's name was Rick Stanton and I had to interview Rick Stanton for the podcast. And I was like, for me, he's a bit of a personal hero. And of course you get the butterflies, you know, of course you feel scared, especially someone like me who I don't have a strong background in this at all. Actually quite literally the opposite. But again, you smile, you say the nerves are normal and you go for it. And you know what? I messed it up the first time, but I didn't say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. I messed it up. You just say, okay, let's do it again. And you do it again. Like, like no big deal. Um, one thing I learned, I used to be a break dancer for like 10 years. And one interesting thing that I learned there is if people only realize you mess up, if you mess up, so you can be like, you know, spinning around doing stuff, fall on your back and like kind of slouch up and brush yourself off. And people are like, Oh, he messed up. But if you spin on your back and then land and then like do a little twisty flip and land on your feet and then be like, ha ha. That everyone's like, Oh shoot. Okay. I guess he may. Oh, amazing. How that's so, Oh, and then everyone thinks you're super cool. And the same thing is like life, man, <laughs> presentations or, or whatever it is. If you just act like everything's intentional and, uh, don't sweat the mistakes and don't dwell on them and don't acknowledge them. People often don't realize you've made a mistake. And, uh, that's like my dirty secret right there. <laughs> you absolutely can. Um, you know, one of your dirty little secrets is that, but I've also heard you describe another secret of yours is just strictly perseverance how much of what you've built and who you've become has just been trying and trying and trying again, even when it feels like, or if you've ever felt, what, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this stuff? But you keep going. How much, how much of your success has been just that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a lot of people out there who have done a lot more life-threatening stuff than me. Um, where they really had to persevere against, against the odds. But like for a lot of my challenges and, and things I do and adventures I have, I, I, people who know me well know that I meticulously plan a lot of what I do. And I think there's a word in stoicism called fear setting, which is like, you don't plan for, well, you plan for the worst things to happen without expecting the worst things to happen. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of the adventures I do. A lot of the challenges I do is I, I really take time to think about what could go wrong. Again, not expecting, not, not with a pessimistic attitude, just be like a real attitude here. Okay. So what are the real things to worry about? And so often I'll find myself in these situations where I do kind of feel pushed up to, up to my limit. But again, if, if it's not a life threatening situation, you used to kind of realize that pain and discomfort are, are temporary, you know, and I guess I've got quite a fair amount of tattoos by now and it's a, a bit of a similar thing. It could fiercely suck in the moment, but you know, it's going to be over in, in several hours. And if you're not going to have any life threatening issues or lose a limb, um, you can push through, uh, with, with various techniques. Um, but the, again, the, it takes practice that, that perseverance is a muscle. You have to believe in yourself and trust in yourself and also trust that you've done the adequate amount of preparation to be able to get yourself in these situations. You know what I mean? Like you can't just jump in. And I guess that's the last thing I want is people to see some of the stuff I do and just jump in with no training or preparation, um, and expect like, you know, success or a different result or whatever. A lot of these things in life you really have to prepare for, but once you prepare for them, um, you know, you can, you can really play a little bit. Um, and that's kind of what I go for. And it seems like in your story, just as in a lot of stories, it's been a steady climb to, you know, maybe not more extreme situations, but just, you know, bigger projects, more places, farther reaching uh, experiences. Um, but so coming from Canada, let's just jump back a little. 
what what were some of those stepping stones for you to become a, a world traveler coming from New Brunswick? You know what I'm saying? Like, what were some of those major milestones that that led to again carrying a watermelon up Kilimanjaro recently? It doesn't all happen at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my parents always pushed um, us to be curious. I've got three siblings, and um, my my dad was a biology grad and he had, um, he like was big into aquaculture. So yeah, like fish farming, but also big into the ocean. And we'd always go down to like the rocky beaches of, of Southern New Brunswick, which is a, there's a place called the Bay of Fun Day that's in between Maine and New Brunswick. And it has the highest tides in the world. If you can imagine 45 vertical feet of water rising and falling twice a day, oh my that's God. what happens there. It's incredible. And so there, because all of the water gets like, it's like a bellows from, from the bottom of the ocean. It's all cold, nutrient rich water. There's lots of sea life, but again, it's not that great for swimming. Cause it's like 10 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but freaking cold. Um, and it's really rocky and everything. So we used to grow up in like playing in the freezing water, catching crabs, crawling up and down these like slippery, uh, seaweed, rocky slopes and just adventuring and exploring and, and, uh, you know, getting dirty. And, um, that was, that was a lot of my childhood. And again, going back to what I said about like ha- really loving lifting up rocks and finding the creepy crawlies, looking in tide pools, same thing. Um, and I just kind of that, I didn't realize, didn't realize this connection just until about last year, but it's kind of the same thing I do now going to these misunderstood places, doing these misunderstood things and, and really trying to show people it's not exactly what you think. So in the past like couple of years, I've been to Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Mauritania, Venezuela, Bangladesh, some of these countries that people wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. But again, with this whole fear setting idea from stoicism and, you know, a, a good travel skill set as well, being able to, to see see what it's really like in these places. Um, there's still places I would never go because I do feel they're very dangerous. Um, but there's lots of places that you can go, um, if, if you have the right contacts and, and, and know who to speak to, I guess what I was always compare it to is like, if there's a, something terrible happened in Seattle, will you still go to Florida? And the answer is like, of, of course I would, right? Because it's a massive country. Well, why do we think that way about most other countries in the world then? You know, like if something happens in Indonesia where all of a sudden the entire country's off limits for like 10 years and tourism drops forever, you know, it, it's not, it's not a logical way to think about it. So uh, I'm a really logical guy. I do some kind of crazy things, but most of it's quite calculated. Um, so I took this, this, this idea of like, you know, the creepy crawlies, but the misunderstood things I just love showing people. And I kind of transferred that into the travel world. And here we are going like, and, and riding on the back of an iron ore train through the, the Saharan desert in Mauritania for, for 20 hours or, you know, some of the other crazier adventures I've done. So, so, so you following fear, you know, fearless and far going fearless or going far, uh, being fearless. What, what is a legitimate fear that you had going into one of your experiences, one of the projects, maybe a, an area a festival that you legitimately were afraid of. And then you get into it and realize, oh, this isn't, this isn't, you know, something to be completely afraid of. And it started to make more sense to you. Do you have any sort of example you could share? Whenever I go to some of these more sensitive countries, like again, when I went to Venezuela or went to Turkmenistan or Mauritania, uh, or actually I was in Yemen just, geez, like uh, about a year ago, early February. Um, whenever, like, the thing is, like before I go to these places, I, ha- I set up cool local contacts. I make sure the situation's okay. I really do my research. And then if, if everything looks good, I go. But you can't fight that perception of a location that's that's been infecting your brain through media, you know, like, and all, of course you say you're going to like Turkmenistan and, and all, all people do is say all this concerning stuff to you, but they, they've never been there. They don't know. They've seen a couple news articles over the past decade or two, and, uh, they're just kind of giving you their advice, but, um, it's not very helpful because what, you know, what it's not, they've never been there. They don't know anything. Right. And so whenever I go to some of these countries, like, for example, Venezuela, I went there during the height of all the craziness. And that might sound crazy. But the thing is, I had a a friend there, um, another Canadian guy who had been living there for two years at the time. And uh, he had still been there and and he bikes his motorcycle around the entire country. And um, he's like, hey, man, I know things aren't great in Venezuela. Um, I'm leaving soon for 
other reasons. But if you want to come down, um, I can't promise you everything's going to be okay, but I'll, I've been, I know the situation here. We can, we can stay in my place. We can bike around a little bit. You, we can see angel falls, all these different things. Um, and he was really integrated in the community and I really trust him. So I went down, uh, but I wouldn't have gone down without a contact like that. And quite often it, it is the contacts, but of course I get a little bit nervous before that happens. And every single time it's always the complete opposite. The people are always the friendliest and, um, they go out of their way to like make you tea and invite you over in, into their house over for dinner. It's always like that. Every single time I go to one of these countries, that's tourist unfriendly. I'll tell you one, uh, a bit of the opposite story though. I went to this festival in, in Mexico, uh, just North of Mexico city. And it's, was called the bulls of fire. And it was at the Mexican pyrotechnics festival. And you can imagine how safe a Mexican pyrotechnics festival is. It's not safe at all. <laughs> uh, but, but the, <laughs> the main event was this thing called bulls of fire. And so basically if you took like the Spanish running of the bulls, yeah. Uh, where the, you go down the streets of Pamplona and you have to outrun these bulls. It's it was like that, but instead of actual bulls, um, the, the villagers got together in little groups and cities and things, and they made these like giant steel rebar and paper mache bulls, all bigger than cars, and they'd push them through the city streets. At the end of the day, they'd all get into the uh, the main square. Everyone was very drunk at this point, off this drink called like pulque, which is a fermented cactus sap that's like so viscous, it's like paint. It's super thick. And they, anyway, they'd fill these bowls full of fireworks, like model rocket engines, things that are like up there with like commercial level fireworks. And they'd run them at people and you had to run away and dodge the rockets, dodge the fireworks and people get hurt there every single year. And it's crazy. That was something I wasn't scared originally. Um, but then I got there in the thick of it all and I was, I was scared. Uh, I mean, I was able to get good footage, but I'll tell you why I was scared. I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew the fireworks were going to be shooting around. I knew there was a high chance of getting burned. I knew that they were going to try to run you over with a, an exploding steel bull. Um, so I had like ski goggles, like a baklava on. Um, I didn't drink anything because I wanted to stay sober. I had my camera and everything. But then what happened is about after four hours of this just craziness, I got hit in the chest with a tequila bottle. Someone whipped it from over the crowd and hit me right in the sternum. And then I got scared, man, because that's an element you can't control. I can control where I am for the most. I can't control exactly like where the fireworks are, but at least I have the protection on to know that I'm probably going to be okay. I stayed sober. And then I took a second tequila bottle to the back of the shoulder. And I was like, I'm out of here because then, then you can't, you know, then the bad things can happen. You can't control that. It's just chance. It's just debauchery. It's just humans going a little bit too far with the party. And so I had to bow out right there. And I was legitimately scared um, because in the pure chaos, uh, that's one thing I could not control. And that, that those things scare me. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask you, and I don't like to totally, you know, focus on negative things necessarily, but I was going to ask you an opposite, you know, direction. Like, is there a place that you weren't originally afraid of, then became afraid of? And I'm glad you shared that example because that can happen anywhere. People getting too rowdy, out of hand, through alcohol. Uh, that's obviously a worldwide thing. <laughs> and so it doesn't have to be, um, you know, if you can avoid that in your own hometown, chances are you can avoid it anywhere in the world. And, uh, if that's the biggest problem you're facing, geez, you know, that's, that makes the rest of the world seem a lot less scary for someone who, who, who has the desire to go see it, but maybe not the experience. So uh, that's really interesting, man. Also kind of a, a, another unique festival you were talking about. I'd love for you to tell us the story um, about the Exploding Hammers Festival. Do you, do you have time to tell us that? Yeah, of course. And I, I bet you can guess which country that's in as well. <laughs> I was going to say, that's right there. That's right there. Mexico. Mexico too, <laughs> oh my goodness, Mexico. So I, I first, I, I ended up moving to Mexico, Mexico City for three years because there was just so much incredible stuff and a massive disregard for safety and regulation in that country that I just absolutely fell in love with. Sounds like Florida. <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I was, 
I, I, someone, I don't even know how I found it. A Mexican friend of mine or a follower sent me a small crappy cell phone video of this guy with a, a hammer that had homemade, ex- like a sledgehammer that had, a, had homemade explosives on the end of it. And he was slamming it into a loose rock field. And it was like, really, it was like Lego potato quality. It was horrible. But, um, I was like, and they're like, oh, we have to find this in Mexico, but no one knew the name of it. No one knew anything. So I was just kind of Googling around like, uh, Martillos Explosivos, like again, exploding hammers. And this little town came up with a festival called Carnival. That's what the festival was called. And there was like a little like Mexican blog write up about, um, and it's only in Spanish. That's like, oh, you know, the small town, uh, just north of Mexico City again, has this festival every year, and it's um, called Carnival, and they have hammers. And I was like, are you serious? And so I had a, um, another Mexican friend who had contacts in that area with with the local tourism board, and so I spoke to her, and I got the contact there, and I asked, like, does this actually exist? And they go, yeah, it does exist, but normally we don't take tourists there. I'm like, well. You're going to take this tourist there. <laughs> so we organized a plan and I went up there and it was a really, it's a really kind of a crazy story. So the, um, the village itself is named after John the Baptist and the, like from the Bible. And this is their version of a festival for him. And I guess how it came to be the Exploding Hammer Festival. Originally, it was just a, a parade to honor the guy um, and with fireworks and stuff. And then one day someone put a firework on a hammer. And then one day someone like wanted to make their own explosives because they were too expensive to get fireworks or something. So made their own homemade explosives by buying like home hardware powders and, and liquids and stuff or whatever. And then put that at the end and start slamming these hammers down the street in this small town. But they kept them blowing out windows and like setting off car alarms. So they decided to, to kind of axe the parade and just have the exploding hammer festival, a.k.a. Carnival, in this rock field. And it's been going on for decades now, kind of like incognito. And so I went there. Uh, again, didn't know what to expect. And it was it was crazy, man. Um, at least there, they there's a firm rule not to drink. But basically, so like I said, these guys take um, – they make these homemade explosives out of some kind of powder. And it's not like an explosive you can light. Like they were showing you put a lighter to it. It doesn't light. It's impact sensitive. So you, if you if you hit it with a rock, for example, it'll go bang. So it's not really flammable. It's just, it just makes a massive, massive shockwave. And I watched these guys put like these little like packets. They're maybe the size of like um, barbecue charcoal. And they put one on and it makes a pretty big bang. And they put two and three. And they were getting up to like 15 of these packs. And when you're blasting these things, man, um, like you see the shockwave, like, you know, those slow motion ripples you see in like these, these, oh, yeah. these explosion videos, it was like that. And like the, the dirt would come out of the rock uh, around these, uh, explosive places. And it wasn't just one circle. Like there was many of these circles. So I'm here with my like uh, construction grade earplugs. These dudes are just balling up Kleenex and putting them in their ears. And my ears were throbbing. I can't imagine the dudes actually exploding these hammers. And, um, I was talking to like uh, the tourism lady who was there with me, kind of very shocked that I that I was enjoying this at all. And uh, I was like, "So people got hurt? Like, yeah, that guy lost his arm last year, and all of a sudden, like a, a, a hammer starts spinning up overhead, and everyone starts laughing because again, if the explosion is too big and the guy doesn't hold on, the sludge hammer will go spinning off into the horizon, right? And so you really always have to be watching. Uh, I watched a dude blow off his thumb. Because he he didn't you know when you we swing a, a sledgehammer down you kind of keep your hand near the um, the hammer part and you slide it up the handle he didn't slide it up so he blew off his freaking thumb a couple guys with ruptured eardrums as well um, and then at the end I I uh, I wanted to try a little bit so I put put a couple of little packets on I think only two on this little hammer and exploded it and, and like uh, it rocked me like two two little packets some dudes were doing like fifteen to twenty. Like it, it's incredible. And also all these like boys who are maybe 12 are just rocking themselves with these homemade explosives and all these like little like uh, Latina girls are there with like their short shorts and their and their skirts and their little crop tops all watching the boys see who they can blow up the, the biggest hammer. One of the craziest, craziest moments of my life, man. Um, yeah. And I was the, the first one there to, I think, make movies about it. Since then, it, it's gotten a bit more popular. It's kind of like the curse of this job. If you find something cool and make content, it kind of changes it forever. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a wild experience. That is f- freaking chaotic. 
is what that sounds like. That is definitely <laughs> unbelievable. Blowing off fingers and arms and, and, you know, happy birthday, John the Baptist, or whatever it is, your birthday celebration. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm, sure he'd be, I'm sure he'd be proud. I'm, I'm sure, sure he'd be, be proud. Super, super proud. No, that's, that is wild, <laughs> man. That is absolutely wild. And so, that you know, what's interesting is you mentioned that you found that from like a fan or, or a friend that just sent you this, you know, this potato quality video. You know, is that is that your creative process or w- about what to do next, about how you find the next uh, either project or the next thing to go film? Is it just, you know, this this constant flow of inspiration about things you hear about or things people share with you? Um or is it or is it more strategic than that? Like what how do you choose what you do next? Yeah. No, that's a great question because I um I really don't do what I'm not going to be doing the top five beaches of Bali or anything. I really take time to find mm-hmm. these, th- these things. Yeah. Um, cause a lot of the, I, I have this, this, if I'm doing, if I'm doing, there was a, a crisis point in, in my life uh, a few years ago. Um, when I was doing like travel filmmaking and not so much doing this fearless and far stuff. And I, I was like thinking, I was trying to get into my own personal YouTube and I was thinking about, Oh, you know, if I, if I do the top five taco restaurants in Cancun, then I'll get more views. And I just wasn't happy, man. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, why are you choosing to do the things that everyone else are when you are very willing to do the things that people aren't? You're always the guy that's going to eat the bug you know, go in the abandoned building, whatever it is, find these wild adventures that no one would even dream of or touch the 10 foot pole. Why are you, why are you obsessing over, you know, views and clicks of, of, of this commercial stuff? And then I trained, I changed my travel style. I honestly, unapologetically, I got a sleeve tattoo. I decided I wanted to go film like some of the grossest foods on the planet, which I, I think at this point in my life, I, I don't know who has the crown of eating the grossest things on the planet, but I can guarantee you I am pretty close to having the crown of, of all time. <laughs> well, con- congratulations, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. My girlfriend isn't so thrilled about it. But uh, <laughs> right. but I just really love finding the things that no one ha- no one has found before and uh, and showing the world how, how cool it is. And I guess I say that I could probably add some uh, context to the food thing. So, for example, uh, just in the past – two and a half months. Um, I went hunting with the Hadzabe tribe just uh, a couple weeks ago here in Tanzania. They're the last true hunter gatherer tribe in, um, in Africa actually. And they're, they're true to it. We, we went out baboon hunting, believe it or not. And we were, <laughs> these guys are, are incredible. They like know every chirp in the forest and, and they can read the, the landscape and re- read the wind and all these things to, to find these animals. And so we were looking for baboons and on, on the way, um, this guy found a beehive, like African killer beehive. And there was four of these hunters and they jump up in the tree and start digging out bee, bee honeycomb. And I'm like, I was like, are they going to get stung? Didn't care. They like made a little fire, put like, um, some leaves in it, smoked the beehive a little bit. And we're taking out like massive honeycombs out of a, uh, out of a, a killer beehive. And so I'm there, they weren't getting stung. I kind of got in there too. Um, got a little bit stung. They got a little bit stung, but it was fine. Um, and then they handed me honeycomb and I took a bite and it wasn't actually honey. It was just pure bee larva. So they, they were, they were eating that. Oh, they were harvesting the honey too, but the bugs were, were just as important. The week before that I was hanging out with the Maasai, which are a very different tribe here. Uh, they were like the iconic shuka, like red blankets. They, they're like the grazers of, of the, uh, Serengeti and Ngoro Ngoro area. And cattle is like what they use as currency. And also like it's dowry. It's, it's all these things. Also they use it for food, but they don't like killing them because it's kind of like their wealth. And so one thing they do is they make small incisions in the cow's neck and they, put the blood into a gourd and they drink the warm blood for breakfast. And so on our first day, they invited me for a nice Maasai warm blood breakfast uh, out of a smoky old gourd. And, um, not for everybody, I have to say. Yeah, not, not for me. Um, holy cow. uh, (laughs) I commend you though, man. I can't even, how do you stomach this stuff, man? But I mean, it's incredible. The experiences, is it hard work for you to say yes to some of this stuff, to some of these, uh, spontaneous either interactions or, or, you know, snacks, I guess you could say. Snacks. Yeah. It's kind of like snacks. Um, the thing is like, I, I have like a sick pleasure for doing this stuff. Honestly, dude, I have no desire to drink blood. That's like on my list of things to do. Like, 
there's like getting shot in the face and then that's like one up above that <laughs> at the very at the very very bottom <laughs> Um, but you're there, you're spending like three, four days with these amazing people. They do this. Obviously, you know, it doesn't kill anybody. They're like healthy, amazing people. Um, and they tell you the story and why, and they're so excited to, to have you try it. I know like everyone has a different perception of what gross means. Um, and it's only your worldview, you know, like some people, half this world thinks peanut butter's gross. You know what I mean? I think, um, that shit that Australians eat Vegemite or Marmite. I think that stuff's gross. And so, um, I think we think blood's gross. They don't think blood's gross. So they drink it, right? So who's right and who's wrong here? I mean, you could probably argue that drinking blood might be a bit more wrong than eating peanut butter, <laughs> but it's still so subjective, right? So I just don't like to turn down an invitation. Um, and when it means an, an opportunity to explain to the world and also challenge myself um, and my preconceptions, and uh, I go for it, right? I go for it. So it's led me to do that. It's led me to uh, eat spider cheese in, in Germany. It's led me to eat itag in the Philippines, which is a uh, pork that has maggots in it, which is pretty crazy as well. Um, all, all kinds of good, good little bits, man. Jeez. Not so good. Jeez, Mike. I, I, it's just awesome. It's awesome what you do. I see you abandon, you know, explore abandoned places too, which is something that's so much fun, so cool. Can I ask you this? You know, you've got this uh, this incredible YouTube channel um, that you've built over time and just have all this incredible content on there. What would you say one of the biggest misconceptions people have about you and your lifestyle um, that, that you maybe hear a lot on social or on YouTube that, uh, that you're constantly trying to correct or, or reframe? I guess I think it's really easy to think I'm some kind of like jackass wannabe. You know, I do these stunts, I eat these crazy things, and it's like, I think it's easy to maybe for people to think that it, it's just for shock value. I'm just like another bro with a backwards hat trying to make people go, ugh. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and it's, it's not really that. Like, I guess I, I probably... At first, and I mean, you see that you see the content, and you're like, "Wow, this is very extreme." But I, I, I'm doing it like I, again. I, I, I like, I, I do things I know that aren't going to. I mean, hey, I might get diarrhea for a week or two. That's happened a lot. But I, I don't do things that are that are reckless. I don't want to come across as the reckless guy that'll do anything for a stunt or for a million views. That's not me at all. I, I'm, I'm really cautious with with a lot of what I do. And also, I've been traveling for a long time. I've eaten a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of things. And I guess I, I, I train quite hard to be able to do things always within my ability. And if I feel like it's starting to get outside my ability, I abort, uh, I'm out of there. Um, so for me, I, I like to take these extreme things and then kind of trick people into learning something, you know, they may, Oh my God, this guy's going to drink cow's blood and then like trick them into learning more about the Maasai and a bit more about the world and a bit more about their, their assumptions and their misconceptions and their you know, judgments on another culture. I like to tease all that in too with, with maybe something a bit more clickable in the beginning. H having seen some of these bizarre practices, unique festivals and, and interesting people, what can you tell us about what kind of people the world is filled with? Are people good from your perspective? Man, what, uh, yeah, no, I can't speak highly enough about the experience that I've, uh, I've had in this world. I've been to 75 countries or something. Again, some of the ones that people would never go to. Um, and I, I don't have, I don't have bad experiences. I don't have any like, you know, crazy, uh, you know, kidnapping attempts or like being arrested or and anything like that. It does, it doesn't exist. The, 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 the crappiest experiences I've had have always been in like Paris or like Amsterdam or mm -hmm. like, you know, these places that are really touristy and you're taken advantage of because there's lots of like, I don't know, let's call them like predators. there trying to scam you. Um, but in these countries that you think might you might not have a good time in, it's like the opposite, man. The world is filled with kind people who just want to be appreciated, just want the same things as us. And we'd like to divide ourselves based on language and religion and skin color. But, dude, we're all the same freaking thing. And I, I wish more people would travel to know that because once you start seeing that um, we're all exactly the same, um, you, you just change how you treat people, um, and you, you just you can empathize with with everybody's situation. And we're all like life is struggle, man. We all being a human on this planet is is just rising and falling and twists and turns, and 
we all have our own little hero's journey. It doesn't matter where you're from. And if everyone could see that, I think the world would be an amazing place. So I have, I have no bad stories to tell from around the world that aren't from like, a, you know, the main drag in Paris or something. Right, right. No, we find that so often with, with the folks on the show that we bring on to talk about travel. It's, it's, it's a huge misconception. Um, yeah, some of my worst experiences have been on the street I live on or in the town, you know, at that waiting, you getting gas or something, something random where you're not thinking about that stuff. But the, the times you're kind of ready for something bad to happen, it's it's not there because it's, it's not real and it doesn't really happen. So, um, Sorry, let me add let me add one more thing. I did this little like social experiment once um, where I was in uh, Kaosan Road in, in Bangkok. I did it one, uh, two places, Kaosan Road in Bangkok, which is like the party street in all of Thailand. And also I did it in uh, Rome in, in Italy. Mm. And what I did is I took a wallet and I stuck it half out of my back pocket with like a couple small bills half out of the wallet. So basically like prime pickpocket territory. And then I um I got a friend to follow me from afar with like a stealth camera, like filming so that there would be nobody who could know that I was being filmed. And I I, la- I wanted to see how long I would last before I got pickpocketed. So Kaosan Road would be like prime spot to get pickpocketed, you'd think, because it's just like drunk people and crazy chaos. And then there was a, a bus that was called the Pickpocket Express <laughs> um, in, in layman's terms, uh, bus number seven or something that went to all the tourist locations in Rome. And so I walked around, took the bus and had this friend like stealth film me from a distance and do you think that my wallet got stolen on either one of those uh either one of those things all right might be a trick question i'm gonna say i'm gonna say no i don't but you might be like of course it did (laughs) but i don't think it did i don't think it did it wasn't and do you know do you know how many times people came up to me to tell me my wallet was half out of my back pocket Hmm. like 20 times 20 times, man, like the amount of people, the amount of good, it was, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like a social experiment showing how many good people there are out there versus people who are going to steal your wallet. There was like 20 times more, maybe even more than that. Cause no one jacked the wallet, but there was 20 people who said, Hey, excuse me, sir, your wallet's half out of your back pocket. That, and it showed me that the, the world, that's like a prime example, that like the world is good. And that was in a spot where it was supposed to get stolen. Like I was fully expecting it to get stolen. It was the exact opposite. Hmm. Man, that, 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 that story, that theme just has to be told in today's world. It just over and over. We, we try to just pound that home. It's like, get out there, see it for, your, for yourself. Don't just trust this onslaught of negativity through, through the news, through, through just, you know, these attention grabbing mediums, get out there and see it for yourself. And we're all going to realize, you know, the world is full of people just trying to live, just trying to be good people. And, uh, I, I just appreciate you reiterating that. Um, do you, do you have a, a few minutes just to tell us about what you're doing now? Um, obviously you're going to continue, you know, your YouTube and continue traveling. And I know you traveled a lot, even in 2020, um, can you tell us about your most recent project? Yeah, so I have been fortunate enough to travel um, for the past few months. Uh, I don't really have a home either, so I, I've kind of been floating around uh, during this whole COVID time trying to figure out uh, <laughs> where I can go. Uh, but the, the the most recent project that just launched, so I have the YouTube channel, which of course is is one of my main things, but I'm working with a, a podcast network, uh, Wondery, who have produced some really, really good podcasts like Dr. Death and like the, or the original Tiger King as well, before it was the Netflix uh, sensation was actually produced by by Wondery. And so we just launched a podcast called Against the Odds. And Against the Odds is telling these stories of um, these human survival stories where humans rose up to the occasion and to survive, again, against the odds. And so it's now live. It went live just a few days ago on the 23rd of February. And we'll be doing five episodes um, about the Thai cave rescue. And we got to interview, like I told you, Rick Stanton, which was uh, so cool. So, so cool. The, one of the main divers who rescued the, the cave, the kids out of the cave. And I've got a co-host, um, a girl named Cassie the Pickle, who is a Guinness World Record holder for fastest um, time to all the countries. And she's telling a story, um, a different story. And then I'm back. So we're rotating back and forth uh, about four or five episodes each for this podcast. But I, I love it, man, because anytime I get to talk about stories of perseverance, survival, people using grit, determination to to overcome obstacles in their life. And these are like some of the best ones ever told. Well, I say told like they're fiction, they're fact. And I have to keep on reminding myself that 
they're not stories that are made up. It's like these are real things that people did that that are just absolutely unbelievable. So it's really cool to be a voice in that podcast because it's inspirational for me, and I hope it's also inspirational for other people too. Oh, man, I cannot wait. I, I love human survival stories, you know, so I, I absolutely we've had a handful on this show over the years and they're just always so exciting. Um, but it's like uh, it's a treat. So to have a whole podcast dedicated to it is going to be <laughs> going to be really cool, um, especially. Yeah, by Wondery. What a great what a great network. So that's 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 going to be fantastic i just subscribed so i'll be downloading those and listening um, and i will encourage obviously all of our listeners to do so and we'll be plugging everything you know your youtube your instagram uh was there anything else that you wanted to share before we uh before we head out no that's it i mean if anybody really wants to see any of the adventures i spoke about <laughs> they'll, they're all on my youtube channel uh fearless and far and and yeah check out the podcast it's premiered in the top 10 list uh on um on Apple this week, which is awesome. Uh, I mean, I lended my voice there. There were so many other talented people who did sound design and the writing, and I'm just one piece of the puzzle. But uh, it all turned out really nice in the end. Uh, the Wonder people do such a great job. So YouTube, Fearless and Far, and also Against the Odds on anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, you're a professional, just great storyteller, and I appreciate you being on the Adventure Sports Podcast. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.